Hello, my name is Ian Flanders. This summer at church, we've been having a series of sermons looking at Paul's prayers in the letters that he wrote. Today, we'll be looking at the theme of praying for evangelism, specifically from the verses we read from Ephesians chapter 6. As I was preparing the sermon, my mind went back to over 30 years ago when I first visited an African country. I was travelling as a tourist but I was very struck by something that had a profound spiritual impact upon my life. You see, everywhere I went, there were advertising billboards promoting a famous fizzy drink. Even when we went deep into the desert on a safari, at every little wayside shack in every small oasis, there were these same advertising billboards. This global brand was present and known throughout this country, where sadly, at the time, there were only 12 known believers. And that got me thinking, how and why had this occurred? Why could a global brand be so well known, and yet there be so few Christians? You see, Jesus sends his disciples out to proclaim the good news of his resurrection to every nation. Our dream should be that there be a visible Christian presence in every community, on every street. That's the challenge before the church today. And today we'll be looking specifically at the role of prayer in that challenge of mission and evangelism. Before we look more closely at the subject, I just want to say a few words about Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul spent two or three years in the city from around 55 to 57 AD He planted the church there and he oversaw gospel ministry throughout that whole area in Western Asia Minor. Ephesus was at the time a thriving and prosperous centre of commerce. It was also a major centre for idolatry and the practice of magic and divination. Now there's no absolute consensus on when Paul wrote his letter, nor from where, but most would suggest that the most likely scenario is that he wrote it while under arrest and in prison in Rome, probably in the year 60 AD, so just a few years after he had left Ephesus. This morning, I'm going to divide the sermon into three, answer three questions. Why pray for evangelism? How do we pray? And then what do we pray for when praying for evangelism? Why then should we, as a church, as individuals, pray for evangelism? I could approach this question from many different angles, but to avoid being too long, I will remain with the context and the content of Ephesians 6. Now, Paul's exhortation to prayer from the verses 18 through to 20 follow a a section where he's spoken about spiritual warfare. In this section, he acknowledges, he even affirms the reality of unseen evil spiritual powers. And he moves on to give instruction on how we as Christians are to live and to witness in this particular context of struggle with unseen evil spiritual powers. So to do this, Paul describes Christian life and witness using a military metaphor or illustrations. He sets our lives and witness within the context of this spiritual struggle, this battle against unseen evil spiritual powers and he helps us to understand how we can stand firm, how we can remain as faithful witnesses. 
And so he then concludes this section with some instruction on prayer, indicating that he saw prayer as being essential for the church to stand in this context of spiritual struggle. And the fact that Paul requests prayer for himself, for his own struggle, for his own evangelism and witness, just underlines the same point. Paul knew that he could not be self-reliant. He knew that he needed the prayers of God's people to survive as a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. And just as an aside, we must say that the use of this military metaphor in this section of Paul's letter cannot in any way condone or justify the use of violence by the church in any form whatsoever in order to constrain or compel people to become Christians. That's just wrong. It goes against the New Testament teaching and especially what Jesus says about loving our enemies. We know sadly, tragically, mistakenly, at various periods in church history, the name of Christ has been associated with military campaigns and with crusades. And we particularly want to disassociate ourselves from that this morning and say that such an approach is tragically erroneous. To return though to Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 20, we can ask where is evangelism to be found in this text? At first sight it seems to be simply about standing firm, about holding on as Christians. It seems perhaps quite defence focused. Now Paul may have been inspired to write in this way because he saw Roman soldiers posted at his door every minute of every day. As commentators I've read this week helpfully point out, Paul also knew his Bible because every item of armour spoken of in this text can be found in the book of Isaiah. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15, we read about uh, having our feet shod uh, in readiness with the gospel. But then as we turn to Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7, we also read this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. That's a wonderful description of evangelism, isn't it? And so even in this context of spiritual armour, of struggle, of warfare, of battle, it seems that evangelism remains very much the core mission of the church and the believer. And because of this, Paul underlines the need for us to pray. How does the influence of these unseen powers play out in this context of evangelism and prayer? Once again, much could be said, but I just want to refer to one verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. We read, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age, this refers to an unseen spiritual evil power who is often named in the Bible the devil. He has blinded people to the truth of Christ and in this way he binds them or conditions them into unbelief. The meaning of the name devil is slanderer, it's liar. So the devil, this unseen power, is one who sows mistruth and lies into cultures and worldviews 
that blind people into unbelief. Now those lies, those mistruths, those slanders that he sows into different places will vary from culture to culture. The lies that he tells us living in academic, sophisticated Oxford are very different from the lies he sows into cultures like that of West Africa where I travel, where people grow up under the influence of their traditional religions. The mistruths, the lies are different, but the result is the same. Spiritual blindness, unbelief and proud, stubborn opposition to the good news of Jesus Christ. And the teaching of the New Testament is that while God calls us to be faithful witnesses to proclaim the good news of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we are unable in and of ourselves to cure people of their spiritual blindness and their unbelief. That is something that only Jesus can do through his spirit. Just like to give an illustration, I've, I've come to enjoy gardening, growing fruit and vegetables. I've realised that there's some things that I can do in the garden, but there's much that I can't. I can prepare the soil, I can plant the seeds, I can water them, I can do the weeding. That which I cannot do is bring a seed to life and to make it grow. In the same way, our words of witness and proclamation are true, they're valuable, but we must be utterly dependent on God for them to be effective, to produce fruit, to bring people to spiritual life and faith, to spiritual sight and belief. And so in the context of this spiritual struggle, this battle uh, between falsehood against truth, light against darkness, we are small, we are weak, we are vulnerable. We can't dare to be self-reliant. We must be utterly dependent upon God and this dependence upon God is expressed essentially through prayer. Prayer is an expression of absolute dependence on God to do in us what we can't do for ourselves, to help us to stand firm as faithful witnesses despite the pressures and the struggles and the temptations that we face. To pray is to express our dependence upon God to do through us and around us that which we cannot do ourselves, to bring sight to the blind, to bring faith to the unbeliever. Prayer then is an expression of hope and trust in dependence upon Christ that he bring his victory to bear, his victory in our own lives as faithful witnesses, his victory in the lives of those we love and we meet and who live around us. And there's a paradox being played out. Christ is portrayed even in Ephesians as the victorious sovereign king. He is incomparably greater in power than every unseen power. He's triumphed over them at the cross and through his resurrection. And yet the paradox is that this victory makes progress in us and around us through the weakness and suffering of faithful witnesses. We see this principle present right at the start of the Bible in Genesis 3, chapter 15, when God addressed the serpent, saying, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This principle of victory through suffering is seen in Scripture from start to finish. It's seen at the cross where Christ's ultimate victory was obtained through immense suffering 
brutality and death. And it's the same for the church. We are witnesses, but that witness takes place in the context of weakness, of struggle, of wrestling. And yet Christ, through that, is victorious. We need to express our dependence upon him through prayer. Christ is raised from the dead. He is exalted as the victorious sovereign king. He is incomparably greater than every unseen power who are but ants to be crushed under his feet. And yet there's a paradox, isn't there? Christ is victorious, but that victory has always made progress through weakness and through suffering. It's present in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God addressed the serpent and said, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We see it on the cross where ultimately that happened, where Christ defeated the unseen powers. How? By suffering through death. And we see it in the ongoing mission of the church where Christ's name is proclaimed and spread, but through weakness, struggle, suffering and vulnerability. And for all of these reasons, we need to express our dependence on God through prayer. How to pray? I put about evangelism in brackets, because in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse... 18, we read some general instruction on prayer, where Paul writes, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul gives instruction on how to pray and we can apply it to all of our praying. It's interesting, he says pray on all occasions and pray with every kind of prayer. That seems to allow us some creativity, diversity, imagination and freedom in how and when we pray. It allows us surely to pray in all kinds of different ways, in all kinds of different situations. We can pray all together as a church, as we've already done this morning. We pray in our home groups. We can spend time praying together alone. We can pray in a very formal way, or we can pray very informally. Pray in a formal place as a church, or we can pray wherever we are at any time. We can use the written prayers of others to pray, including those in the Bible, but those also written by other believers. Or we can pray spontaneously with our own words, whatever comes to our hearts and our minds. We can pray at set times in the week or in the day. Many of us have the habit of having a certain time that we set aside for prayer. But we can also pray at any time in the day, whenever we feel the need. 
recently, I think it was in March, we had a period of 24 hours as a church where we sought to pray together. And this event gave expression to a, a diversity and a creativity in how we prayed together. And I trust and hope and believe that similar events encouraging us to pray together will be held in the future. And so then Paul gives us this freedom to pray, to pray in different ways, to pray at different times. He encourages variety, maybe creativity. It's almost as if he's saying, I, I don't really mind how and when you pray, the most important thing is just, just to pray. It's okay to pray in different ways. People have different personalities. There's, there's some ways of praying that I find difficult. But that's just me. It doesn't mean to say it's wrong. I have been in churches where everyone stands up and says their praise out now together. I find that very difficult, very distracting. According to this text, we can't say it's wrong. It's just not right for me. Paul just wants us to pray however we might express that uh, together or alone. The important thing is to have this habit of praying and expressing our dependence upon God. So let's as a church encourage each other to pray and create opportunities to pray together in different ways. But Paul does also say that we are to pray in the Spirit. I have to admit, I've always found this phrase a little hard to grasp and to pin down what it really might mean. I think I've made progress this week and I shall offer you my thoughts on the question. Just a little anecdote first. The first time I was invited uh, by an African pastor to go to a, an African independent church in Burkina Faso, uh, my friend, this pastor, invited someone to pray in the church. And this man started to pray extremely loudly. And when I say loudly, I mean he was screaming at the top of his voice, ranting and raving and gesticulating wildly. I found it a little off-putting. I kind of said to myself, well, I mean, it's different over here. I need to accept that this kind of thing goes on. It really was very loud. My African pastor, after he'd finished, he turned to me and said, well, personally, I don't think that God is deaf. <laughs> praying in the Spirit is not about volume, I think we can all agree there, but what is praying in the Spirit? Is it about being earnest, about having passion, about having conviction? But all of those are very good and to be encouraged, but is that what it means to pray in the Spirit? Is it something to do with engaging our emotions? And again, it's good that prayers involve our emotions. We can pray from a sense of joy and excitement about what God has given us. We can express our grief and our sorrow in prayer. Prayer is an emotional activity. But is that what praying in the Spirit is about? I'd perhaps like to offer you the following thoughts, which you can talk about amongst yourselves over coffee if you wish. I noticed just this week that uh, 
Paul's exhortation to pray in the Spirit follows directly after verse 17 where he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit. It seems there's a proximity, a closeness between Paul saying, take the sword of the Spirit, and then saying, pray in the Spirit. It's almost what we call a parallelism. I want to suggest that maybe the two are linked. Taking the sword of the Spirit seems to refer to our proclamation, our teaching and our witness. And if the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, that suggests that what we teach, what we proclaim, is scripture. It's the word of God. What we teach has to be consistent with the Bible. I want to suggest that it's the same with prayer. Not only do we teach scripture, but we pray scripture. I would offer this, the sense that praying in the spirit is simply praying in a way that is consistent with the teaching of the Bible. Praying in a way that is inspired by what the Bible teaches, that stands on the promises of God that takes the word of God and turns it into prayer towards God. I offer that to you as my take on praying in the spirit and encourage you to think about that and to talk about that uh, perhaps following the service or in, at home. Praying in the spirit is to be guided by trusting in the scripture and its promises as we come to prayer. And if our prayers are for things that are in contradiction with the Bible, then we can conclude the opposite, that that kind of prayer is not in the Spirit. The final question, what to pray about evangelism? And again, I might offer some surprising thoughts. Now, I've read over the course of my life the New Testament several times. But I don't ever recollect reading about anyone praying for a named family member, friend or neighbour in the scriptures, nor encouraging us to pray in that way. Now, obviously, I don't want to discourage that kind of prayer. But I'm surprised and puzzled that that kind of prayer doesn't appear in the Bible. And I'd actually like you to come to me and say, well, have you thought about this verse? I want to be corrected, because I find it strangely silent, strangely absent. The nearest we get to that kind of prayer, and one that maybe gets me off the hook, is Romans chapter 10, verse 1, where Paul says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So at least there we can say that Paul prayed for people groups that they might be saved. And so yes, we can pray for others that they may be saved, but I've never read of anyone praying for a particular named person in the Bible. That's not to say that it's wrong, and I certainly don't want to discourage it. 
but the Bible seems a bit silent on that. So what does Paul pray for when he asks his friends uh, to pray for him and his witness? Do you want to read Colossians chapter 2? Sorry, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. Verse 3, rather. Colossians 4, verse 3 says, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And we read that in parallel with Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So once again we see that Paul requesting prayer is an expression of his dependence on God. Paul asks for prayer because he knows that he needs God's help. Sometimes we're tempted to think that Paul was this kind of spiritual superman, so talented, gifted, committed and brave that surely he doesn't need praying for, but that's not how Paul saw himself. Paul saw himself as weak, powerless, he wrestled, he struggled, he knew suffering and pain, he knew that he had to depend on God in prayer, he knew that he needed God's people to pray for him. When Paul wrote Ephesians and Colossians, he was in prison, most likely in Rome. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul's prayer here is focused on his witness and on evangelism. It's not the kind of prayer we might expect, the kind of I'm a celebrity, get me out of here kind of prayer. It's not a prayer that the guards might treat him less cruelly. It's not a prayer that he have a better diet in prison. It's challenging, isn't it? His request for prayer there in prison was that he might be a faithful witness to Jesus Christ. When we face hard times, difficulties, problems, opposition to our faith, the temptation, isn't it, is to be quiet, to tone things down to withdraw. That was not Paul's reaction. When things got tough, he saw prayer as the answer. Not prayer for personal comfort, but prayer for his personal witness. Prayer to stand firm and faithful as a witness to Jesus. The first thing that he prays for, Colossians 4 verse 3, is that God would open a door for our message. Again, it's not a prayer that God would open the door that I might walk free from prison, but a prayer for an open door for his message about Jesus. For Paul, prayer for evangelism seems to be a higher priority than prayer for personal comfort or prayer for solving personal problems. That strikes me as challenging. Paul was locked away and he prayed for open doors. He prayed for open doors for the gospel, opportunities to speak to others 
about his faith in Jesus. He prayed for divine appointments to tell others about his faith. You may feel locked up in difficult personal circumstances. You may feel that you're, in your life you don't have much opportunity to speak of Jesus. Well, Paul provides the answer. Pray. Let's pray for each other that God would open doors and give us opportunities to tell others of our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's take every opportunity to offer such prayers to God every, on every occasion. Paul's first prayer is a prayer for opportunity for open doors. Secondly, he asked for prayer for courage. It's true, isn't it, that sometimes opportunities do arise when we can speak of our faith and then we don't take them. We let them pass and we can feel disappointed and frustrated with ourselves. But once again, Paul provides the answer. He asks the Ephesian believers uh, that he might be fearless in his proclamation of Christ and his testimony to his grace. Paul was only human. He, he could be afraid, it seems. I mean, I'd be afraid as well if I was in jail, especially with Roman guards. Even the best of us feels a measure of apprehension or anxiety at the idea of telling others about Jesus, be it a neighbour, a friend, a work colleague. Such anxiety, fear, it's a common, human, normal reaction. Paul felt it as well. And so with that, he encourages us to pray for each other, that we might have the courage to seize the opportunity to speak of Jesus when God opens the doors for us to do so. And then the third thing that Paul asks prayer for is for clarity. Opportunity, courage and clarity. In Ephesians, that words may be given me to make known the mystery of the gospel. Then in Colossians, that I might proclaim the gospel clearly as I should. A prayer that he might find the right words for the right situation, the right words for the person in front of him with their own background, with their own questions, with their own baggage, their own situations. That he might speak the gospel in a way that the person listening have the best chance of understanding. It's a prayer for good, effective communication. And again, I think we can all identify with Paul, can't we? We've all had those occasions when we seem to fumble around finding the right words, when we feel ill-equipped to answer people's questions, to address the issues that they're raising. Part of the remedy of this is to read, to talk to each other, to learn from each other about what to say, how to answer questions. There is work to be done there. 
But Paul also encourages us to pray for each other. That God through his spirit would give us the right words for the right occasion when he opens those doors. I felt it necessary earlier and hopefully helpful to set Paul's teaching on prayer in the context of this spiritual battle or struggle with these unseen powers. I'm quite struck by the simplicity of what Paul recommends given this context. I'm quite struck that Paul, at no stage, calls us to engage directly with these spiritual powers. Paul does not encourage or exhort us in this text to pray against those powers. All Paul's focus seems to be is on praying for the gospel messenger. Praying for him, Paul, and by extension praying for anyone and everyone who is involved in gospel ministry, who is involved in personal witness. And that should be all of us. His prayer simply is that we might all stand firm in this struggle as faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ. A simplicity of prayer that we might have open doors to speak of Jesus. That we might have the courage to speak of Jesus. That we might speak of him clearly. And just to conclude, I want to draw your attention to a last verse in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It's an encouragement to any who may ask, does this kind of prayer work? Is this kind of prayer of any value? Is it worthwhile and effective? It's interesting to join up a few dots in Paul's writings. As I mentioned earlier, Paul most likely wrote and sent the letters to Ephesus and Colossus in AD 60. As I said, he was in prison in Rome at the time. Now, scholars suggest also that Paul wrote the letter of Philippians to the Christians in Philippi just one year later in AD 61. He was still in prison in Rome. Now we've heard, we've read his prayer requests. With that in mind, please listen to Philippians chapter, two, chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. There he is writing in prison. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. Paul asked for prayer that doors might be open, that he have opportunities to speak of Jesus. Well, it seems clear from Philippians that he had and took the opportunity to speak to those prison guards. God opened doors for him to speak to his captors. Paul asked for prayer, for the courage to speak, and yes, I imagine it took courage to speak to a Roman guard. 
But it's clear that Paul's prayers were answered. Paul did find the courage to speak to those guards. Paul asked for prayer that he might speak clearly of Christ. And that prayer also seems to be an answered. The prison guards seem to have understood enough for them in turn to be able to explain to everyone in the palace that Paul was there because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Paul asked for prayer that he might be a faithful personal witness to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as a result of those prayers, the gospel of Christ reached people and places that otherwise they may not have reached. What God did for Paul, he can do for us. So let's close in prayer. As Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for Jesus. We thank you for the grace and mercy that we have received from him. We thank you for our forgiveness of sin. We thank you for our eternal hope. And we know that you send us out to be wherever we are, faithful witnesses. And we want to say this morning, we need your help to stand firm and to speak of Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters here this morning that you would, even this week, open doors of opportunity for us to tell others of our faith in Jesus. I pray that even this week you would give us the courage to speak of Christ, even in those situations where we feel weak and afraid. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd help us to find the right words that we might be able to explain to others clearly who you are and what you have done, that you might be known and glorified wherever we are. Amen.